All right, you want to start it? Hello, and welcome to... <laughs> welcome to a special... No, it's not a special edition, though. It's just... A, it's the Lenten edition. But it's not like a Lenten edition. We're doing it every day. That sounds like we're only doing it once. Oh, daily Lenten edition? Welcome to the Catholic Traveler podcast, Daily Lenten Station Church edition. That's a lot to say. Virtual pilgrimage edition. <laughs> Welcome to the Catholic Traveler podcast. Instead of every Thursday, you're hearing us every day as we go through the station churches of Rome throughout Lent. Good. It'll evolve over time, I'm sure. But today is Ash, Ash Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. The beginning of Lent. Yeah. And one of my favorite station churches. Mine too. And Gregory the Great's. The gem of the Aventine, yes. he called it. Yeah. So we mentioned- Do you know- Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say- we We're mentioned, so excited. <laughs> yeah, we're very excited. I mean, we mentioned in the last episode that Gregory the Great is the one that kind of officially set the list and the order of the churches for the station churches. They were going on long before him. Um, but he wanted to start with Santa Sabina on the Aventine Hill. And if you're familiar with Rome, or if you're not familiar with Rome, the Aventine Hill, it's one of the seven hills of Rome. It's kind of near Circus Maximus. It overlooks Circus Maximus. Um, so there's a story of the foundation of Rome, where Romulus and Remus, two brothers, they were kind of arguing over which hill would be the better place to build their palace and found their city. And Romulus chose Palatine Hill. Remus chose Aventine Hill, which is right across from it. And obviously Romulus won, and that's why it's called Rome and not Reem or Rima. Um, but the Aventine Hill, it's a beautiful part of town. Um, several embassies up there, really nice, like single family homes, which you don't see a lot of in the city center. Um, and so, yeah, it's the gem of the Aventine, as Pope St. Gregory the Great called it. It's just a lovely area. And because of where it's located, this, I mean, there's a lot of hills in Rome that aren't really hills anymore. They're kind of more leveled, but this one's still like a full hill. You've got views of the city from pretty much every direction, depending on which part of the hill you're on. You can see all over Rome and it's just gorgeous. So I love it because of the location, also because it's just an amazing church, but it's the first station. Just near the church is a beautiful overlook, a garden overlook. So as you're walking up to go to Santa Sabina, there's a garden to your right. And um, it's a beautiful overlook over the city and St. Peter's. It's wonderful. Yeah. You get really good pictures there. You see a lot of like wedding photographers up there with brides because it is such an amazing view. And if you've ever heard of the keyhole, that's this little tiny keyhole in a door um, that leads into... Uh, what's it's the territory of Malta. It's not Malta, the country, but it's their extraterritorial territory. <laughs> I'm saying that wrong, but hopefully people get it. I don't think it's, the, it's not the, the embassy. It's just like their property. So there's this, there's this keyhole in the door and it was made like this. You're looking through a keyhole and you're looking through Malta because it's their country. And then at the end of your view, you see the Dome of St. Peter's. So you're technically looking through three countries at once, Italy, the Vatican, and Malta. But that's up on the Aventine Hill as well. So 
just an amazing it's, location. It's definitely worth making the trek up there. Um, you know, it's not necessarily the easiest place to get to. It's not going to be in the city center, obviously, but it's worth it because there's the keyhole, there's the garden, there's a lot of overlooks. There are several really beautiful churches up there, including Santa Sabina. So if you're ever in Rome, it's worth the, the detour to go up there. Absolutely. And yeah, so Circus Maximus is maybe a 10-minute walk from the Colosseum. And I love Circus Maximus. I mean, it's just an empty field now, but um, you get a great view of Palatine Hill. And then Santa Sabina is maybe a seven-minute walk up the hill, but it is up a hill. And that's another reason why maybe Gregory the Great chose this church, because you have to walk up a hill. What were you going to say? Did you... I got excited because I thought you were going to say this. Did you know <laughs> why he was up at Santa Sabina? He spent some time up there. The plague. Because of a plague. Yeah. And so it's a great place to start our reflections in 2021. Yeah. You know who's not going to be there this year? Pope Francis. His successor. <laughs> <laughs> we mentioned that in the previous episode. But the Pope, uh, would uh, many, many, many centuries ago, would go to all the station churches with the community and then it kind of just came down to now the Pope only goes to the first. But this year, because of our plague, the Pope is doing the Mass at St. Peter's instead of Santa Sabina. But he usually does go to this church. And it's an amazing Mass because it's the papal liturgy. So you've got the beautiful music. You've got all the guards there and the security and all the cardinals and the bishops. And it's a tiny church. I don't know how many people it holds. A couple hundred. A couple hundred. Um and so it's just a wonderful place to experience a papal liturgy, but not this year, unfortunately. But I guess it's understandable, maybe. I don't know. So let's talk about the church. Yes, let's. We've talked about the neighborhood. Hmm? The location. And that's one of the reasons it's our favorite, but there's a lot of other things about this church, even though it looks pretty simple. Um, it looks pretty humble, but there's a lot that happened here. So... Santa Sabina, this is one of those house churches that we spoke about in the last episode, which a lot of the station churches are, um, but it was built over the home of a woman named Sabina. And so the church that you go into now is built over this home, but the church is from the fifth century, and it even looks today as it would have looked back in the fifth century with some minor embellishments over time. Yeah. So it's been renovated. It's been kind of rebuilt. Um, most of the churches in Rome have been, but it has, it they kind of restored it back to its fifth century feel. And that's one thing I really like about the station churches is for the most part, you really, especially if you go every day, you begin to see similarities of the old basilicas, the apse mosaic, the way they just, they, they feel like the old basilicas um, more or less, more so than some of the other churches in Rome. And I really, that's, I really like that. Yeah, this church, it's very simple, stone. I mean, it's simple on the outside, simple on the inside, um, but it's it's like a beautiful, simple, beautiful simplicity. And it's one of the reasons it's so popular with weddings. A lot of weddings happen at this church because it doesn't take anything away from the bride. Um, but it's just, I don't know, I love it because of how it feels. It just, you know, sometimes you go into a church and it feels good. This is one of those. Yes. It's not yes. over the top at all. It just, it feels humble and simple and it's a great place to begin a Lenten journey. And it's relatively, on a practical note, it's relatively uncrowded. I mean, it's not not many people. People will go up here for various reasons, um, including a door that I want to mention next. But for by and large, uh, it's not a 
tourist stop, you know. So, um, but it's really neat. There's a door before you even go into the church on the outside. Um, it's kind of in the narthex area, so it's not exposed to the elements, of course. It's There's a wooden door that actually dates back to the fifth century, which is rare that a wood, we would have a wooden door that is that old. But there's a wooden door and it's, you know, there's, you don't, you don't use it. There's a, there's some, you know, glass in front of it, but the door to the church dates back to the fifth century. And we believe it's one of the oldest representations of the crucifixion because back in the early church, if you remember, like crucifixion would have been kind of a grotesque, awful thing to depict. And in the early church, people were still fearful of Roman crucifixions. So they wouldn't often depict Christ on the cross. They'd often depict him maybe as, you know, Apollo in, the, in you know, as a, this victorious um, son of God. But here we have one of the earliest depictions of the crucifixion on the door at Santa Sabina. So occasionally you'll get some art historians and stuff coming up to visit the church to see that. Yeah, but like you said, it's pretty much always empty, People will come to visit the Orange Grove for that overlook of the city. People pass by the church to go to the keyhole, but it really doesn't look like much on the outside. And so it's not a church that people will be like, oh, I want to see what that one looks like. Um, and so it is often empty, which is great for prayer. They have a lovely little adoration chapel, and it's just, it's a nice place to, especially in the summer, to like get away from it all, have your own little pilgrimage within your pilgrimage if you're visiting Rome. Go and take some time here, and you could be there for an hour and not see one other person. If anybody wants to see the outside of the church, they can watch a three-minute theology episode on basilicas, which we filmed in that orange garden with the church oh, we behind did. me. Yeah, I um, had to hold that, that, was really that fun. thing the whole time. The sun you shield You held or the something. sunscreen. <laughs> yeah, the sun shield. And we were filming it in the orange garden, and people kept walking by, and it was quite hilarious. But... The episode is three minutes on what is a basilica, because a basilica um, began as an architectural type. And I guess we, we haven't really discussed that here, but it is really just a type of an architectural building, not even a church. The Romans had basilicas, and you can see them in the forum. They were a gathering place, usually a legal court. And when Christianity became legal and they were building churches, they adopted the basilica architectural style because it didn't have pagan temple roots. There was no connection to pagan worship. Though they adopted this style of architecture, but now we think of it as a type, as a designation for a church, because now there's also a designation given to some churches of special importance that are named basilicas. So three minutes, three minute theology.com, the number three minute theology.com. We have a nice little episode on basilicas and the Santa Sabina is in the background of that episode. Very good. So we were talking about... <laughs> you always compliment me when I go on my little... <laughs> well, it was, very it, was, good. it was a very good basilica rant. Yes. <laughs> um, so speaking of basilicas, speaking of people who like to spend time in churches, there was a very notable person who spent quite a bit of time at this church. Who's that, Joni? St. Dominic. Yeah, you so like the Dominicans. We- I love the Dominicans, and we talked about them in our episode on Santa Maria Sopa Minerva. There are a lot of Dominicans that live at Santa Maria Sopa Minerva. That's their principal church today. Um, But their master general, so the head of the whole Dominican order across the world, lives at Santa Sabina. And so there are still Dominicans that live at Santa Sabina. The master general lives there. And that was the church given to St. Dominic, um, one of the churches. And he was given the church of Santa Sabina where he, so he could live and pray. And so there's a Dominican uh, monastery attached to Santa Sabina. And he would spend a lot of time in that church in prayer. Um, St. Dominic, if you know anything about his life, he didn't sleep a lot. He mostly just prayed. 
In fact, I don't think he even, you can go visit his cell today at Santa Sabina, if you ask permission. You can go see the cell of St. Dominic, but the kind of joke is that he was never there because he never slept. He was always in church. Yeah. And then there's also the story that he planted at least some of the trees in the orange grove or in the orange garden there. But there's an interesting, I don't know if you would call it a relic. It seems weird to call this a relic, um, but yeah, um, there's the story of this one time he was in prayer and the devil wanted to disturb his prayer and he couldn't enter the church. So what he did was he picked up a stone outside the church this big black rock, the kind of rock you would think that the devil would have around him, I guess. And he threw it at Dominic. And of course, he didn't flinch because he's deep in prayer. But the church kept the rock. So kind of near the front of the church, right when you walk in, you see this little pedestal. And on top of the pedestal is a black rock. It almost looks like a flattened bowling ball. Because yes, it's it's very it smooth, and on the top there Maybe. are three like indentations, which I guess would have been like his claw marks or whatever the devil has his hands, um, but where he stuck his fingers to pick up the rock and throw it, and it's just a really odd thing to find in a church, like a relic of the devil or I don't anti-relic. know anti-relic, yeah. anti and it's just sitting in the back on a pillar, like it's not. It's not labeled or anything. It's just sitting yeah, there you, unlabeled in the back corner. You can touch it. Like, yeah. I guess it's attached to the pillar because I've never tried to pick it up. I don't know. And supposedly, I don't know if I made this up or not. I probably made this up. But if you look in the middle of the church, there's a choir, what we would call the choir, which is where the the, the Dominicans or any anybody who prays in common, they sit in these little choir stalls and face each other. So that's kind of in the middle of the of the church. And so if you look, you can see the marble is all like smashed on the floor. And I heard that that's what happened when he threw the rock, but that could just be an urban legend. Could be, but it makes sense. There are a few churches in Rome with smashed marble that didn't come from devil stones, but Devils, cannon, yeah. cannonballs, but, things like that. Yeah, that's true. So it's possible. So, so yeah. The, one of the strangest not relic relics. Yeah. There's also, so the Dominicans, you can, if you're in the church and you look, so the devil stones to your left, but then you walk a, far, a little bit farther into the church and you look up to the left, you can see this little window and that's the window that leads, there's a little window that, you know, goes to the monastery. And so that's where the, the, the friars would watch um, Dominic pray. And so they would, they would kind of observe him in prayer. So you can see that little window. Um, there's also, because the Dominicans lived here for, you know, you know, hundreds of years, St. Thomas Aquinas also would have lived here, which is kind of neat, and Pope Pius V. And so if you know someone or are able to get, you know, to see Dominic's cell, you can also see the cell of Pope Pius V. I didn't um, know that. Where he lived at Santa Sabina. Did yeah, he it's a chapel as pope? now. But as Pope? Or? He did not. He did not. He lived there oh, okay. before. Okay. Um, and so he becomes Pope. And then tr church tradition is that that's why the Pope wears white, because Pius... Um, persisted in wearing his white Dominican habit. So um, I don't, again, that's one of those things that we can kind of see popes maybe wearing white before that, but it's a really nice thought that the popes were white because of St. Pius V and he, he would have lived at Santa Sabina before becoming pope. Yeah. I'd heard that they would wear white for like ceremony things before that, but he kept it as like everyday garb because he wanted to keep his Dominican habit, which is, yeah. Anything else about Santa Sabina? 
don't think so. She's buried under the main altar, as is so often the case in these older churches. There's a bunch. There's a bunch of martyrs buried under the the high altar and Pope Saint Alexander, which is kind of neat. So um, that's often the case at these these station churches. Is either the person that whose house it was who's been martyred will be there, or there'll be other tombs of martyrs. Though she's under the main altar. Yeah, yeah. We'll see a lot of martyrs. A lot of them were buried in the catacombs and then moved back into the city of Rome. So that'll happen over and over throughout Lent. We'll see like this person was originally buried here, but then moved into Rome, into their home house church. So we do end up with a lot of martyrs in these churches that we're going to be visiting over the next several weeks. But this is only day one. Day one. We hope you enjoyed hearing about Santa Sabina and we'll be back tomorrow. Yeah. Very good. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening. Ciao, ciao. Oh, oh, be sure to tell your friends. And that too. (laughs) Ciao, ciao. All right. Enjoy your Lent.